everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we are talking about Rashomon. This is a film by Akira Kurosawa, uh, made in 1950, so last night was actually the 70th anniversary of this movie. I was unfortunately not able to see this one in theaters, uh, just, just due to my age, but... Uh, I'm really excited for this episode because I decided to make this one a little less scripted, <laughs> and I uh, I was receiving a lot of letters and and uh, comments from everyone saying, hey, you know, maybe you could make a, an episode where it's not scripted, have a little more fun with it, a couple more laughs, and as you can see, we're already we're already heading down the right path. So I appreciate all of you who uh, gave that feedback. I know it won't be every single time, but I figured it's perfect for this movie because of the content of Rashomon, uh, being that there are multiple different stories, we don't really know who's telling the truth, so I figured I want to just kind of freestyle and see what happens, and um, I mean, I'm giggling already just because uh, because I, I make myself laugh a lot, I, I'm a, I was going to say I'm a very lonely man, but I'm not, I am not, I have a, a great support system, <laughs> thanks to everyone for checking in on me, but uh, this actually, interestingly enough, was the first Akira Kurosawa movie that I ever saw. Uh, I had been um, trying to get into, and I've talked about this on prior podcasts, but the IMDb Top 250 Films of All Time back in 2016, that was a goal of mine was to make sure that I had seen all of them and reviewed them or you know marked them on IMDb as my rating. And so I watched a lot of movies that year, and I watched a lot of Kurosawa movies that year, but this one ended up being the first one that I watched. This was actually back, uh, way back in time, when Filmstruck, for those of you who remember that, it was a, a streaming service that was kind of curated by the Criterion Collection, um, but at the time, it had, it was on Hulu. So if you had a Hulu subscription, you could watch a ton of uh, Criterion movies, and now all of those movies are on HBO Max, so times certainly have changed, but uh, this movie included in that list is available for streaming on HBO Max. This is also an incredibly short movie. Uh, it is only an hour and 29 minutes long, and it's concise too, so it doesn't waste any of that time. But uh, this was before I had seen Seven Samurai, Throne of Blood, uh, Sanjuro, and uh, Yohimbo, uh, Ikaru dreams i'm just i'm listing off all all of these kurosawa movies and all of them will be ones we will eventually discuss on this podcast but i wanted to give some honor to this movie because again it was the first one that i had seen and i mean imagine me before that thinking hearing so much about akira kurosawa uh from the bare naked ladies and their song one week and also just in terms of film and cinema of like okay you know if you if you really want to get into film you need to watch Akira Kurosawa's movies and so uh, when I first pressed play on this one I just had that excitement in me of I'm finally doing it like I'm finally checking out Kurosawa's uh, his film library I'm really looking forward to it and again it did not disappoint so we're going to go into detail in this film. Uh, spoilers for the 70-year-old movie. Also, again, a happy birthday to Rashomon for turning 70 years old. Uh, we love you, and we love you even more for the content of this film. So hopefully for some of you, you're wondering, well, what's, what's this movie about? Well, uh, it is a movie about lies, and in a sense, it is a movie 
uh, about and and interestingly enough i and i saw this when i was doing a little bit of research but there's actually something that would came out of this film called the rashomon effect that is the idea that eyewitnesses uh, don't make good witnesses and i'm gonna as I, I go in here i will double check on the yeah the rashomon effect i'm gonna click on this real quick it's uh the notorious unreliability of eyewitnesses so basically you know you get five different people in a room who saw something there's a good chance that you are going to get all five of them to tell you a different story and that's essentially where it came out of was this obviously it probably happened a lot in real life uh, at that time before after whatever the case may be but it was really highlighted in this film so uh, again it is a very cut and dry film uh, and i love it in that regard there is it's hard to well i guess the word would be it's not hard to get lost watching this movie it's very easy to get lost in the rhetoric of the movie in terms of like oh well that's what happened and then you hear someone else's story and you're like oh well i guess i guess i don't think that's what happened like i don't even know what happened now but in terms of the film itself very easy it, it opens up in the pouring rain and slush uh, a real nightmare for me personally uh there's a and you'll see what i mean when you watch this film there's a lot of rain and a lot of mud puddles and when i was a kid i um i, I think i was a, i'd like to say that i was a fan of playing around in the mud playing around in the rain but I also have an irrational fear of being dirty, and uh, especially when it comes to like just my my skin. So like the idea of having mud on my skin just terrifies me. Uh, I, but then when it happens, obviously I really enjoy it. And I'm like, you know what? I, this this fear was kind of uh, unfounded. But when I was watching this, that was the first thought that came in my mind was, wow, that that is a lot of mud. And uh, but but we we kind of zoom in on it's the town of Rashomon, and that's kind of what the the uh, title is indicating. The movie opens up with a shot of of the town sign saying Rashomon, and there are a few men who are taking shelter in a half destroyed kind of building, a pagoda, if you will. And uh, the first, so the main man who is played by, uh, and I'm gonna. Uh, it's uh, Takashi Shimura, who is a frequent um, player in Kurosawa's movies. He is uh, like a woodcutter, and so he is essentially explaining uh, to this other gentleman who comes into this pagoda out of the rain. And at this point now, it's you got this guy who just came in. You've got Takashi's character, the woodcutter, and then there's a third guy in there as well with him, a, pr a priest of sorts. And they're, both of them are kind of just sitting there shaking their heads. And this guy's like, kind of like, what's going on with you? And he's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's just none of this makes sense. None of this adds up. And it's like, he's like, all right, I'll bite. Like, what's going on? And they're like, it just doesn't make sense. It's crazy. And the guy in the pagoda, uh, the woodcutter, he says three days prior, he was in the woods trying to get some wood. And he found some items on the ground. Those items were a um a woman's hat and then a samurai hat and then a broken rope and a shiny amulet case with a red lining and also uh, i think they might maybe he mentions a dagger possibly but um i don't think he actually does and we'll get that get to that towards the end but he's like okay you know trying to explain the story and we're going okay well where's this going and so immediately then we are we are transported to a um kind of a trial 
And the woodcutter is explaining to this man who came in the pagoda, he says, you know, the, basically a murder took place a couple of days ago, and we just got done testifying. And uh, and so it does like sort of a flashback to this testifying, which is actually really cool. So like the people who are testifying, they're all on like this kind of dirt plane, I guess you could say, almost at like the roof of a house, a flat house that's covered in like sand or dirt, whatever the case may be. And he's, you know, on his knees talking to the camera. And so in this case, the camera is the, um, I don't know what you would even want to call it, the, the investigator. They don't really ever say. But so the guy would say like, oh, what was I doing? Oh, I was doing this. So like no one, you never hear anyone ask any questions. You never see anybody asking questions. But the people are talking directly to the camera. So it's a really cool technique, obviously, to kind of point out that we as the audience, we're kind of the ones interviewing them, trying to say, okay, what happened? Let's figure this out. I'm trying to get to the bottom of this story. And so um, that's all he basically says. He's like, I was going to cut wood and uh, I saw a dead body and I ran as fast as I could to go try and find the police. And then the second guy, the priest, he explains that he actually saw these people before they died. Uh, Three days ago in the afternoon on the road, uh, there was a woman on a horse uh, with a veil on with this large hat that had a veil over it so he couldn't see her face. Uh, But the man that she was walking with, and this man is walking, you know, holding a rope to the horse, walking alongside it, and uh, said that he was armed with a sword as well as bows and arrows. And, uh, but they were walking past him. She was on horseback and, you know, he didn't, that's it. He didn't really see much. And so from there, we're like, okay, we're, we're kind of diving into this. And then we hit to hear from, uh, who I would call the main, uh, the main squeeze of Akira Kurosawa, who is Toshiro Mifune. And he is in almost all of, uh, Kurosawa's movies. He's in Seven Samurai. Uh, I think he's in dreams i may have to double check that but he's in a he's in a lot of them he's in a lot of those movies and in this movie he plays a man named tajo maru who is a notorious bandit and so this bandit was caught and he's kind of tied up sitting on the ground and he's hysterical he's laughing he clearly has lost his mind in some regard but he explains and i guess his charges are that he killed the guy and he says two days ago at dusk uh, by, he was by the banks of this river. This man was walking around, and he saw the bandit in the sand. Oh, and this is the guy who caught him. He says, like, I found this bandit in the sand, and there were a bunch of arrows, a bow, a horse, all of it belonging to the dead man. And um, he's like, well, this guy obviously killed him. And, the you know, the bandit starts laughing, and he's like, no, no. Like, I would never... He's like, I I get that you would think that, basically, but it's not me. And I'll explain why. He says, on that day, I was riding a horse, and I was very thirsty. So around Osaka, I drank from a spring, uh, and I got a stomach ache from drinking. Ooh, is that bad drinking water? And so he got off his horse, crouched in a field, and that's kind of what was going on. But he says he, he did see the couple three days ago, and if it had, he says, if it hadn't been for the wind, I would have killed him. And I don't, I, I'm trying to, thinking back now, I'm, I'm trying to understand what that means. Um, I don't know if that was a hint, because by the end of this too, we're really trying to figure out what happened. But um, he said he was sleeping under a tree, uh, a great oak, if you will, and they passed by him while he was sleeping. 
He caught a glimpse of the woman before they were gone, and he thought that she was a goddess, so he decided to capture her, even if that meant killing the man. Uh, and so this is where we really get to, who boy, he is a bandit, all right. Um, he gets to them and pretends to be selling the man a sword. And he says, hey, he, and I've, you know, it's the 1950s, but I, I also understand that they're, they're doing this. It's like 8th century Japan, old feudal Japan. So like no cars, no nothing. But he's like, hey, I, uh, I found these swords and uh, it's, I've got the stash of, of swords and mirrors that uh, you might you want to come check out uh reminded me a lot of the tim and eric uh the tim and eric bit in tim and eric's billion dollar movie of uh you know i sell i sell three swords a year i'm good uh if i sell no swords a year i'm even better because uh the 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 city of swallow valley pays me a monthly fee to not sell any swords and um so he the guy though is like yeah sure i'll uh i'll come look at your swords and it's like this is clearly a lie and he takes him and they're walking and the guy's very hesitant he's like you know kind of curious about this but um the the bandit keeps making jokes with him and eventually gets to the side of the mountain there's no swords and the bandit jumps onto him and we don't see any violence before the camera does a wipe and and what's interesting too is i think i can't confirm this right here on the podcast but i'm pretty sure that uh, these wipes that Kurosawa is doing and the other kind of film techniques he's done in some of his movies, pretty sure George Lucas uh, was inspired by him. I know he's referenced him a lot in terms of what inspired Star Wars, in terms of uh, the Hidden Fortress movie, and um, I saw I maybe maybe Kurosawa pioneered that in terms of like the screen wipe, which I thought was really cool. But then from there, the screen wipes and he's running away laughing. And so we don't know at this point whether he's killed him or not. And it's like, oh, I, I, I don't get it. And he rides back at the spot where the woman was left. And he gets to her and he's like, your husband so, so, he just fell ill. You need to come quickly. And she's like, oh, no. And so they run back. And lo and behold, he's alive, but he's tied to a tree. He's tied him there with a rope. And she tries attacking him with the knife, but he dodges all her attacks. And so after tiring her out, he assaults her. He sexually assaults her uh, with a kiss. And, uh, but back then though, and, and all of you, you look up this on, you know, Wikipedia on HBO max in the description, it says he rapes her. And I, I would argue, yeah, you could call it that too, for sure. Uh, especially back then, I'm sure in the eighth century, uh, especially the way that they, they talk about this as the movie continues is like, that was the end of it. Like her kissing him regardless of the fact that it was him doing it like that ruins her and back then that was a very serious thing that you know a um a wife uh in that time period was essentially you know betrothed and beholden to that husband and never ever could leave and if they did or if they ever you know acted unwomanly they were cast out and you see that in this movie so he does that and um so at that point things kind of get hazy with her she drops the knife starts enjoying it almost and then she says though to have and this is where i'm getting what i'm getting at she says to have my shame known to two men is worse than dying and essentially tells them one of you needs to die and i will go with the survivor so huh that's funny that she you know she taking a lot of liberty there to say hey you know yeah maybe i messed up a little bit but you guys need to fight to the death but again it's feudal japan so it's a long time ago and they fight and eventually he does 
kill him is, is what he says he says they crossed swords 23 times which he, he specifically remembers because no one has ever been able to do more than 20 after he died he turned to the woman and she was gone uh he exchanges exchanged his sword in town for liquor forgot about her dagger and um so at this point we're under the impression and it's weird too because again at the beginning of his story he's like i wouldn't i didn't i wasn't gonna kill him like i'm not gonna kill him but now it seems like okay maybe he did kill him but then the woman shows up at the courthouse interesting we get a completely different story uh and the man the man then says to her and that he says her and the, the bandit were lying um most and so this is where it kind of goes back he's like now the woman showed up and they're, they're back in the pagoda in the rain in the pouring rain and mud and this guy this guy who just came in he's basically like a like a a beggar in a sense he's just like a wanderer and he says a really interesting line he says most of the time we can't even be honest with ourselves because at this point you know they're talking about like oh this guy was lying we don't know who's telling the truth he says it's because men are weak that they lie even to themselves and that's a really fascinating thing and it really made me take pause and think about that and again i i probably should have written out a little bit of this but just in terms of thinking that you see that so much and and again we'll maybe we'll talk about this at the end i'll try and you know do a little bit of it here but you just see that in regards to literally anything i mean you, you look on on the internet see what things are going on out in the world and politics and it's a lot of lying and whether that is a good lie a bad lie there's a lot of lies and 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 what and i i think both sides and there's multiple sides but you know if we're going to dive into um you know the democrat versus republican side of things and i only say that because both of their conventions have kind of just happened and, and are continuing to happen but you hear the talk and the rhetoric from each side and they are both talking about the things that they will do, the things that they want to do, but they never say how they're going to do it. And obviously there are plans, but like if you look at the plan that the um, the uh, Trump administration released, it was like a 50-point plan that said things like um, teach American exceptionalism. All right, well, how are you going to do that? And again, regardless of how, how horrible of an idea that is, how are you going to do that? Okay, great. Well, they're you know they're not going to tell you. They're just going to say things. And again, it's it's that weakness, that idea that you know I'm going to say whatever I can to be to make myself okay, to to cover my own butt, to save my face. And it's it's a clear weakness, and it's great. Again, 1950s that they're calling this out, and obviously it's happened before then. But just a good call out in this movie of you know most of the time we can't even be honest with ourselves, and that's that is the toughest part in all of that. Again, politics, whatever thing you're facing or or discussion you're having with friends is, we get these ideas in our heads that are so ingrained that. Uh, regardless of whether we got the information, like where we got this information from, this this fact of, you name it, whatever that thing is that's in your head, that unconscious bias that you hold within yourself, you start to think that that's the truth. And you continue to build on that lie within yourself and suddenly you can't be honest with yourself because you're trying to find all of the little things that are going to make that lie still be true to yourself. 
And it was cool and interesting to see him call it out for men because it happens a lot. You see that with like gaslighting and um, other sorts of things with men in relationships when they, they want to feel you know right or that they are not the, the one that is at fault. It's always the other person. And so they lie. And again, lie even to themselves. So uh, I just thought that was a great line. And it's even more interesting because uh, you'll see what he says afterwards. So this is right before the woman speaks. And so now we're back, we're back at the trial. And the woman says this. She says the bandit t- – and, and again, it sounds like everything leading up to the person, the, the man, the husband getting tied up is true in, an, in as, as best as it needs to be because this story starts there. It says the bandit tied up the husband and then left both of them, ran away. And she looked into her husband's eyes and saw neither anger nor sorrow – but loathing and she begs him begs him says please please don't look at me like that please kill me before i see you looking at me like this she grabs her dagger and says please kill me with this dagger and he won't he just continues staring at her again going back to that idea that again i may maybe i missed a spot i don't think i did but he kissed her the the bandit kissed her and and came on to her i mean it was a, a very long kiss but still That's enough for her to beg her husband to kill her because of the way that he is looking at her with disdain. And um, this is just a, it's such a fascinating uh, concept. And it's something that we talked about in a prior episode of the podcast for Sword of Doom, which uh, was another uh, Japanese movie that talked about this too, where the woman in the movie. leaves her husband for the the uh, the gentleman who has the sword of doom and it's that same thing of like she just is lower than dirt for what she did and she barely even did anything she i mean again in that one too i believe she kissed the guy but like the husband was like i don't even care what you did the fact that you went over to his house we're done and it was like wow okay so i mean things were a lot more serious back then and that's it's just that was the way that it was so she's begging him please kill me and he won't do it and she continues to freak out and then says the story that's it she says she must have fainted after that and i'm and i and this is when i'm thinking okay she killed him probably because the last scene is her kind of walking towards him with the dagger and i yeah she wants him to kill him but what if she doesn't she could be lying um, but then she says the next thing she knows, she saw her dagger in her dead husband's chest. And I wrote out, wonder who put it there, right? Like she, um, she doesn't like, she doesn't know. And even at that point we start talking about, or she starts explaining to the, um, to them like that. She, she tried, like she even tried killing herself and she couldn't do it. Like she went, I think she says she like took herself into the river, tried drowning herself. And she says, I failed to kill myself. And it's like, that is just to have that on your conscience. Uh, and not necessarily, again, the act of, of what happened, but just all of the stigma surrounding that, especially for a woman to have that happen at that time. Like that's just unimaginable that a random stranger shows up and think of it like this. I mean, you know, when when uh, even today you've got uh, people who are are smiling, uh, or not smiling, but basically the stories you've heard. I'm sure you've heard a lot of these of, of Joe Biden, who um, and Trump has done it as well in terms of like kissing people without their permission. 
uh, kissing, whether that's on someone's forehead, whatever the case, case may be. Imagine it today of somebody like coming out publicly and saying, Joe Biden kissed me on the forehead and my husband won't look at me anymore. My husband, I mean, it's, it almost sounds funny. My husband like won't, he doesn't even love me anymore. And I, tr- I, I honestly, I tried killing myself and it didn't work. Like I failed, I couldn't do it. I'm too much of a coward. That is insane to me that someone would have to go through that much stress and struggle because of that. Like it's terrible, it's terrifying. But that's, again, what's going on in this movie. And so from here, like I said, this guy goes back to the pagoda, back in the rain. And this guy says, women use their tears to fool everyone. They even fool themselves. He just got done saying that men are liars. And now he is saying women are liars. And I think that just goes even further back to his comment that most of the time we can't even be honest with ourselves. And whether that's your male or female or don't identify with any gender, we all lie to ourselves in one way or another to try and make our experience, our life experience, a little easier, I think. Um, but this one was interesting because, again, this this goes back to the entire anti-Me Too movement of women using their tears to fool everyone, crying and trying to get people to convince people that something happened to them when it didn't happen. Um, but it's also been used uh, in an incorrect fashion, too, to protect those men who are still trying to lie by calling the women liars for that reason. So it's just this giant convoluted mess and, uh, I mean, you look at any one of the sort of, I guess you could say it's like Senate hearing for, uh, Brett Kavanaugh when, um, Christine came on uh, Christine Blasey Ford, I believe was her name. I watched that one. So I, I remember that one well, but you know, she was crying and all of that. And obviously, you know, like, I don't know how you could watch any of that and listen to any of those remarks and think that it didn't happen, but they are still trying to say like, oh, you know, they're using their tears, blah, 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 blah. Um, so it's just interesting to see that called out all the way back here again in this movie and to have purposely have that contradiction of, oh, well, it's easy to say that the bandit did it. Men are liars. They even lie to themselves. Well, but what about this woman? She says the exact same thing. Ah, well, women are liars. They even lie to themselves. It's like, uh-huh. And so from there, he says, well, you know, it sounds like, again, he says that's, it sounds like, you know, the woman did it. And he goes, well, the, the woodcutter, he says, you know, that's not even the half of it. He goes, wait till you hear who spoke next. And he's like, well, that's cut and dry. That's everybody. He goes, no, no, the husband spoke. And he's like, what? What? Are you crazy? How can the husband speak? He's dead. The dead speak through a medium. Yes, that is right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a medium. So I loved this bit. There, a lady comes on and she's doing a bunch of little ritual things, and suddenly her voice is the husband's voice in a kind of rattly, uh, echo type voice. Very, very cool. And um, he says something too, though. Now I'm seeing this here. It's it's another note I that said, and I think this came from um, the guy as well. This this nomad, but it says he says man just wants to forget the bad stuff and believe in the made-up good stuff. It's easier that way. And, um, oh, if that doesn't hit home, if, if that doesn't hit home in this current climate, 
I don't know what quote could from this movie. Uh, just the idea that, I mean, look at it at for anything. Like, uh, perfect perfect example of this is Nikki Haley's speech from the uh, the Republican National Convention. And I, I, I know uh, this is not a political podcast, uh, but we're talking about it today because it, it lines up perfectly with this movie. But uh, Nikki Haley said in her, her speech that America is not a racist country. And then she went on to explain the racism that has been occurring in her own state in regards to a white supremacist who shot up a, I believe it was a predominantly African-American church, and uh, which is, you know, textbook racism. And it's, you know, the, the absolute height of racism in regards to it being a hate crime. Um, but she says America is not racist. And why is that? You know, and I talked about that with a couple people. And, and um, I, I mean, it's clear, obviously, all of all of the the speakers at this convention i only listened to a couple of them but they're they're not i mean they're certainly trying to appeal to a certain demographic they're trying to get people to vote for them certainly but at the same time they're trying to fire up that very far right base that they have that doesn't think that the country is racist or at least doesn't want to hear that they want to forget the bad things and believe in the made up good things such as the virus is going to go away or um, basically, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, any sort of government rhetoric, that is literally what it is, is forgetting the bad things, believe in this made-up good stuff that I'm talking about right now. This this is going to go away. We're going to make this better. Okay, well, you know, it hasn't gotten better, but, you know, you don't want to recognize that. That's fine, uh, but that's why. It's because it's easier that way. It's easier for people to process things that way. It is very hard to take a look at yourself and change the way that you act, the way you behave, and the way that you think. So it's a lot easier to just believe in the made-up things, and a lot of people do that, and that's why this movie calls that out. And uh, so the medium then performs the ritual, summons the dead, the dead man. And again, the dead speak. Uh, after the bandit attacked my wife, he tried to console her. Um, he, he's talking about the um, the bandit. So the, ba the bandit tried to console his wife. And she says, take me anywhere. Like, please, like, save me. Take me anywhere. And in front of the husband, who is tied up at this point, she asks the bandit to kill her husband. And then... Um, the bandit's like looking at her like, are you kidding me? And then he asks, he turns and looks at the husband and he says, all right, I'm going to, how about I let you, he says, I'm going to let you decide. Should I kill her or should I let her go? Uh, because like, this is nuts, essentially. Like, I can't believe she's saying this, uh, which he says, him saying that made me want to pardon him for what he did. And it's like, this is just all kinds of messed up. But the woman escapes. And when the bandit returns, he says that she ran off. So basically, she she runs off. He goes after her. And then he comes back. The guy's still tied up. And he releases the man and leaves. He says the bandit cuts him loose. And then the bandit leaves. And the man's just kind of wallowing at this point. His wife is gone. The bandit's gone. His life is over in a sense, right? He lost his wife. And he starts crying and he's walking around the woods and comes upon her dagger. And then we go back. He like looks at the dagger 
and holds it in front of him, and then it wipes back to the medium, who is now crouching over and falls. And he says, someone then came by and gently withdrew the dagger from his heart. So his story seems to be that he killed himself. So it wasn't the bandit, it wasn't the wife, it was him and him alone. And that's that was the trial. And again, we don't really know what happened during the trial. The trial is over at this point. We're back in the rain in Rashomon, and he's sitting there, and the, the guy is like, wow, basically, like that's a pretty crazy story. And um, he's like, yeah, but it's not true. And he's like, well, so what do you mean? He's like, that's not what I saw. And he's like, well, then why didn't you say anything at the trial? He goes, I didn't want to get involved. And that goes back to another thing that people have such a hard time with that actually has become harder and harder to deny uh, this idea of not wanting to get involved. Uh, We've been faced with a lot of issues, a lot of crises uh, recently, specifically around racial injustice. And it's it's gotten to this point now where... um, and if, if none of you are watching, or if any of you aren't watching Lovecraft Country, I would highly, highly recommend it. Uh, this is a quick plug for Lovecraft Country, which is on HBO Max. It's premiering weekly on Sundays. Uh, two episodes are out now, but what's even more interesting than the show, or it, it's it's about it's just about as interesting, we'll say. Um, and it, the point of this show, it's an amazing uh, sort of fantasy horror that deals with the black experience in an awesome way, almost the same as Watchmen in regards to we're learning new things for you know someone like me that I didn't know or um, that really pulling it into the forefront of my mind again of like, wow, this sort of stuff happened. Uh, But more so than that, there is a complimentary podcast, just like with Watchmen, uh, that talks after each episode with one of the writers and a uh, sort of host. And in this... um, in this one, in terms of, and we're trying to get back to getting involved, I gotta gotta wrap my head back around. But they talk about in this podcast that due to the coronavirus and all of this, um, people just have been forced, in a sense, to get involved. And, and in its regards to, and I won't, I'm not going to go into any spoilers in the show, only to say that there's this theme in the first episode about monsters. And the idea that people don't want to acknowledge those monsters. They want to forget the bad things and just think, I believe in the made up good stuff. Uh, and in regards to racism, of saying that a white man uh, or woman is inherently better and more superior than a black person uh, or any person of color. And there's this scene. In the mo- in the show, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything in regards to it. We all know that it's it's a it says Lovecraft Country in the title. There are monsters in the show, but uh, there's a scene where the uh, the monsters show up and start attacking, and one of the people involved, who is white, uh, afterwards they're kind of sheltered and they're trying to figure out what to do. And this person has been giving the uh, the characters in the show a really hard time, and I'm doing my best not to spoil anything, but a really hard time. And uh, he said, they're like, what are we going to do about these monsters? And he says, monsters aren't real. And it's like, and, and they're explaining this in the podcast, like they specifically wanted to say that because you've got this person who is in a specific status 
in the community. And again, this is me avoiding spoilers because it would be so much easier to explain this if I was spoiling it, but I'm going to be nice to you guys. Uh, but he's in a specific status of this community where he is incredibly racist towards people of color. So much so, obviously, the town they're in, the county they're in, is a sundown county where after sundown, uh, white people will kill people of color in the town, specifically, in this case, black Americans. And um, it's like all this has happened. And now all these monsters have, uh, you know, come and he's saying monsters aren't real. And it's like, how can you say that when not only are you a monster, but there's this monster of racism, you know, there, and you won't even acknowledge, not, you won't even acknowledge the real monster right in front of you. And that's exactly what this is saying. And, and so what she was saying in the podcast was like when George Floyd's, um, uh, when his, the murder of George Floyd took place and we start seeing video footage of all of the, these other, uh, instances of police brutality and police murder uh, across the country so many instances even after george floyd happened and all of this happening while there is a pandemic it just shows that you can't like we can't that is why things escalated to the point that they're at today is because of that because of outside forces this pandemic is going on and yet people are still Still being killed in the streets, people are people of color are still being uh, brutalized by the police. Yet we have a virus going around in our country. Like it just—that's what the, essentially she's saying is like it—it it, it doesn't make sense. Like we had to take a stand now. That's why it blew up is because we just could not take that thinking anymore. Of like, oh, you know, it's not that bad. Like we couldn't hide it anymore. We had to get involved. And so for this guy. Uh, to say I didn't want to get involved in this is just so apropos for kind of that idea of like, well, you know, I understand that there's bad things going on right now, but I just don't want to get involved. Or, or you know, even in instances where there maybe was a police shooting and there were no, um, vi no video footage uh, and somebody witnessed it and they say, I don't want to speak up. I don't want to talk to the police. I don't want to get involved for my own safety. And there's, there's good and bad against that too, but it's that just that idea of you need to speak up. You need to speak your mind. You need to get involved. And uh, that almost now that I'm looking at all this, this that would be a really interesting idea for a remake of Rashomon would be around a police murder or witnessing of a police murder. But again, you'd have a video, you'd have a camera. Someone would have be filming it. So you wouldn't need to hear all the different sides of the story. But the guy goes, okay, you don't want to get involved. Well, can you at least tell me what you saw? And he says, there was no dagger. He was killed by a sword. And the main guy says, uh, that's what the main guy says. And immediately now uh, we've just, we can distrust the medium. So we've, we've been led to not believe the bandit, not believe the wife, not believe the medium and the husband through the medium. So we're we supposed to believe this guy, which is fine. Cool. This guy has been our main character. Easy to follow him. So fine. We'll meet, meet him. He says that he saw them at the point of being tied up, but the bandit was on his knees begging the woman, asking for her to be his wife, which is so out of left field from what's been happening in this. And um, 
she basically and he says like you need to marry me or i'm gonna kill you and it's like okay i, I that might not hold up today um but so she uh runs to her husband and releases him cuts him free the bandit takes that as a fight to the death like okay all right that's what she's wanting let's do it but the husband says i refuse to fight for this woman um he says you have been with two men you should kill yourself and again i was like wow man that is dark um but the bandit then says no thanks and this kind of reminded me of uh and i don't know if it is a gag in family guy but i feel like this would be the gag in family guy uh with meg is you know if uh, two guys were fight because meg's all you know no one likes meg and I, I that's it made me think about that of like okay he's like no thanks and the wife then gets really mad and she says neither of you are men neither of you because you won't fight and you should be like you should be fighting basically you're the ones who caused this you need to fight and not be cowards so obviously you know you tell a man that he's not a man and they're gonna fight you so they fight but what's interesting here and a really interesting call out too is is how they fight in this version of the story so you go back to the version of the story the bandit told uh, and that that scene where they're fighting it's a really cool fight very well orchestrated dipping dodging clanging swords running around uh, they look like two pros but now in this story that he's telling these guys neither of them really want to fight um, and what's great too and this is just a, a huge shout out to Mifune that uh, you know you can see him holding his sword and his hand is shaking and he, like he does he, they're very hesitant to fight and they're they're tripping they're stumbling they they can never land a hit on each other either the sword or the person uh he goes to stab the husband and his sword gets stuck in the ground uh basically just a sloppy fight overall so you would it makes sense that he would try and say that his fight was one of the best fights he's ever had when uh, it actually wasn't it really wasn't um this is essentially one of those stories of oh i swear to god the fish was this big um but so so they're fighting and the bandit eventually kills the man he he does and the lady runs away as does the bandit and that's kind of that's it so i mean and i guess that's where the woman is so um so now we wonder okay so if that's what he saw why why did the woman say what she said because at the end of the day the bandit still killed him and uh i'm gonna go back to my notes here real quick but I think that's because, you know what it must be? And, and I can't confirm this. I would love to hear what your guys' thoughts are on this of why she told the story that she did. But I wonder if it's because of that, that uh, stigma around what she did as a woman. Uh, because in the real story, she stood up for herself. And she said, you know, you guys are both pieces of trash essentially like you essentially you've given up on me my husband you've given up on me for a very small thing and you the bandit you don't even want me anymore this is this is trash essentially uh again that's not what they say in the movie but maybe that's why and she didn't want to admit that she spoke up the way that she did because again back then i think that would have been a, a huge issue she may have gotten in trouble for speaking her mind like that because back then you know women were not valued the way that they are today and i'll uh, you know we have to point that out too they still aren't valued the way that they should be but things have come quite a ways from eighth century feudal japan so um that's that and so after the tale is done uh the man who is listening here is a crying baby 
in the pagoda and it's like what this was this baby sleeping this whole time through the rain uh but there is a baby there with some belongings uh including a medallion which is uh interesting because they talk about this medallion at the beginning of the um at the beginning of the movie uh i don't know if the significance of that but um this this uh nomad starts taking the the items he, he doesn't take the baby but he's like grabbing the clothes there's like some clothes left on top of him whatnot and he's taking all that and this guy's like the the woodcutter's like what are you doing why are you taking these things like god everybody is so selfish or like you are so selfish and he looks at him and he says everyone is selfish <laughs> literally everybody is selfish again he seems like he's the uh the wise third party and he's like everyone is selfish including you he says why why didn't you tell the story that you had and interestingly enough all of these people including the bandit brought up this dagger that and the bandit says it in his tale too that it was a very valuable dagger had a really expensive inlay and he says why are you you're saying though that it was a sword so where is this dagger i he says you took the dagger didn't you you took it so that you could you know make some money off of that dagger so don't say that i'm selfish basically the pot calling the kettle black and in this case everyone in this story is a pot um but he says and he never he never refutes it he's kind of just sitting there like struck stricken and the guy's like basically all right screw this i'm out and the guy leaves and so he's talking with the priest and the priest at this point um who kind of again he he's been sort of a side character but the priest is holding the baby the baby's sort of crying and the guy goes to reach for the baby and he's like what are you doing no like you are not a good person and he he looks at him the woodcutter and he says i have six kids at home one more won't make a difference and the guy says i am so sorry like i i didn't know like, I didn't realize that you had, like, I didn't realize it. And so, and that's essentially the end. But there's even more context there to say, okay, he has six kids at home. Maybe he took the dagger to sell for money for his kids so that he could, you know, keep his kids. Again, this is during a very poor time in Japan. Everyone, you know, it's, it's, this whole city is, is rotten, that sort of thing. So he needs all the money that he can get. Again, we never see the knife. We never see that dagger, but it's inferred and uh and that's how the movie ends so uh, like i said i it's funny too i was trying to figure out what to say i have a, a page and a half unspaced uh, or single spaced of just the notes that i took during the movie um but i specifically wanted this to be unscripted to see how it would go because sometimes on some of these other movies i'm like trying to figure out okay well what like what can i let's write about this movie and whatnot i want to you want to have some um some semblance of something i like having a theme in these podcasts and so there's a really good theme i think here in this movie about lying and telling uh falsehoods and stories to make yourself feel better and to not get involved like he was saying i mean again the big takeaways that i would say from this film are those quotes of man just wants to forget the bad things and believe in the made-up good things it's easier that way and uh that's just a it's like the human condition almost and we have to fight that we have to fight that idea that yeah i guess at some times it's okay to um forget about all of the horrible things that are happening in this world and i would you know if you're you're going on vacation with your family and sitting out at the beach or even you know whatever the case may be you're you're doing you're reading a book it's okay to not be thinking about the terrors that are going around in our planet every single day 
at all hours of the day. I mean, I could list off a hundred different things that you should worry about right now and should be caring about, but that's a lot for a human brain to deal with. So sometimes it's okay to forget those things. Sometimes it's okay to watch a movie and uh, get lost in that film and not worry about the stuff that's going on. But uh, for the most part, don't forget about those things. It's okay to put them off to the side and, and put them in a box that you come back to at a later time to deal with. The key is don't forget about it. Don't forget about the bad things that are going on because it is our responsibility. It is all of our responsibilities to get involved and to tell the truth, obviously, but to get involved and remember that there are some things that are not going well and we need to be doing whatever we can to try and make those things better, even if it's something small that you can do today. And that is where we will wrap things up. So for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. You can find me on Twitter at a robots wink and on Instagram at a robots wink. But for comics and cinema, I'm your host. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.